Can we bow our heads for a word of prayer before we look at the Word together? Precious Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning and ask that You would use the power of Your Word in our hearts and minds and lives today and always to effect change in our lives that brings great glory to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to go with me to Colossians chapter 4 this morning. Colossians chapter 4. We noted in our study last week that prayer makes all the difference in communicating the gospel. Prayer makes all the difference in sharing the gospel with unbelievers. Prayer makes all the difference when taking the gospel and preaching it to believers as well. Specifically, I said that prayer is the key that opens the door to the gospel in the lives of people. And I asked you to pray for open doors this week, that the hearts and minds and lives of people, including yourselves, would be open to God's Word and how God's Word can change and affect your life today. And prayer is the key that opens that door. We need to, we must pray for one another and we must pray for the lost and we must pray for those in our community and those that we work with and go to school with, that their hearts and minds and lives would have doors, in effect, that are wide open for the gospel to pass through. Prayer is that key. also said that prayer is the key that opens the door to, to the clarity of the preacher, of the herald, that the, that the herald would, would be influenced by God's Holy Spirit to speak clearly and plainly, in effect, making the gospel clear, helping the gospel uh, be more clear. The gospel is very clear in God's Word, but we don't want to do anything to muddy it when we share it with people. We don't want anything to make it confusing when we share it with people. So if Paul prayed and asked the people to pray for him that he would be clear in the presentation of the gospel, my word, we had better pray. You had better pray for me that I would make the gospel clear. We need to pray for one another that we would make the gospel clear. And prayer is the key to open that door to the clarity of the preacher and teacher of the gospel. That's in Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 that we looked at last week. And Paul challenged the Colossian believers to pray for open doors for the gospel to pass through and to pray for clarity of the gospel that was preached as that, as that gospel message is sent through those open doors. And he deals here in, in these verses, verses 3 and 4 that we looked at last time, with the preaching and teaching of the gospel. And, of course, I've noted it, the clarity of the gospel and how it's delivered. But I want you to note something else this morning, something we find in the following two verses. The preaching of the gospel is not the only way that it's preached. That sounds confusing, doesn't it? The preaching, like what I'm doing now, and what we gather for and when we come to worship and, and to receive God's word by the proclamation of the word, the preaching, maybe I should say the proclamation in the preaching of the word is not the only way it's preached. Now, put another way, a poet by the name of Edgar Guest, you may have heard of him before, you may have read some of his writing. He wrote for the Detroit Free Press for many years. Um, he wrote this poem, which I find fitting this morning as we prepare to look at this passage, because he wrote this poem called Sermons We See. He says, 
I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes, a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. (laughs) And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. For I might understand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. When I see a deed of kindness, I am eager to be kind. When a weaker brother stumbles and a strong man stays behind just to see if he can help him, then the wish grows strong in me to become as big and thoughtful as I know that friend to be. And all travelers can witness that the best of guides today is not the one who tells them, but the one who shows the way. One good man teaches many. Men believe what they behold. One deed of kindness noticed is worth forty that are told. Who stands with men of honor learns to hold his honor dear. For right living speaks a language which, is, which to everyone is clear. Though an able speaker charms me with his eloquence, I say, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Put, uh, put Paul's way. Verses 5 and 6 in Colossians 4 say this. This is Paul's way of saying he'd rather see a sermon than hear one. Verse 5, Colossians 4. Look at it with me, would you please? Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, don't get me wrong. When I talk about it's good or it's even best at times to see a sermon than hear one, like Edgar Guest says, I'm not discounting the gospel preaching. The preaching of the word must happen. That is by God's design. But I, but I am saying that there are other ways of spreading the gospel in addition to preaching. Paul notes in our passage that there's also the preaching of the gospel that takes place in our conduct. The preaching of the gospel that takes place in our speech, not just the speech about the gospel and the way we speak and live our lives. Put another way, there's the kind of preaching that believers do with their walk and with their talk. Also known as the believer's witness. As Edgar Gust says it, it's the kind of preaching that we can see, right? It's the kind of preaching that can be seen in the life of believers. And first, I want you to see as Paul addresses the believer's walk, how the walk ought to witness in verse 5. Look at verse 5 again. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. First, I want you to note that he's, he's talking about some people here, which, we, which is obvious to us, right? He uses the word outsiders. Who are these outsiders? Simply put, he's talking about those who are unbelievers, okay? Now, using language like outsiders was a normal way of speaking about those from 
say, another family. If you're in a family and you're speaking to someone in your family, you might call somebody who's outside the family an outsider. If you're talking about somebody from another city than the one in which you reside, you would say they're outsiders. If they're from another nation, you might say they're outsiders as the way that they, that they talked then, as the way that they meant it. Now, it's common when somebody uses the word outsider today that you might get your feelings hurt. You know, if somebody said that you were an outsider, you might say, wait a minute, I take offense to that. But that's not what Paul meant. That's not how how Paul meant it, okay? Now, here Paul explains, he's talking about, when he says outsiders, he says, he's talking about unbelievers. We might put it this way. We would say, instead of using the term outsiders, we might say, walk in wisdom toward those who are unbelievers. Okay? So I want you to think about that. As, as Paul's talking here, he says, in an explanation, how believers are to be attentive in how they walk. And that is how they're to live in relation to unbelievers. You know, we need to be attentive in how we live in relation to unbelievers. He notes that a believer's walk, a believer's and we're, when we talk about a believer's walk, we're talking about the way they live, right? The way that a believer lives is to be done with what? Wisdom, right? Walk in wisdom toward outsiders or unbelievers, making the best use of the time. I want you to note this this morning, and there's room on the back of your bulletin to make notes if you'd like to do this. Believers are to have a wise walk among unbelievers. Believers are to have a wise walk among unbelievers. A wise life. You're supposed to live a wise life, a life of wisdom among unbelievers. And I say a wise walk to help you remember it, okay? Believers are to have a wise walk among unbelievers. And to have a wise walk among unbelievers, the believer needs wisdom, right? One of us got it. The believer needs wisdom, right? To have a wise walk among unbelievers, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? You better be wise. But what kind of wisdom are we talking about? Well, we're talking about godly wisdom. And godly wisdom should always influence our conduct. You know, if we hope to have an impact in this world, we must have godly wisdom, and that godly wisdom ought to do something for us. It ought to influence our conduct. We um, we got a good laugh this week as we were watching. We've got um, you can get these old shows on DVD now, right? And I grew up watching the Waltons, right? That's why we have like a 15-foot table in our dining room, probably. I don't know. There's, I don't know if there's something to that or not. I just was thinking about that the other day. It's like, ooh, we got a table like that. We were watching the Waltons the other night with the kids, and this, um, this preacher boy was brought into town, and um, he was going to stay with the Waltons. And um, it, was, it cracked us up because he had a lot of head knowledge. He had a lot of Bible knowledge. And, and everything that everybody said, he answered with a verse. It was like, you know, they said... They said something about being being upset about something, you know, and he rattled off a verse that, that, that challenged them and kind of put them in their place, you know, and dug the dug the dagger in just a little bit. And and then when he he was out doing some calisthenics and and uh, and one of the kids said, "What's he doing?" He said, "Well, he's out. He he said he's doing some exercises because the uh, idle mind is the devil's workshop." And and 
that's I'd say that that's a true thing. But we got a good kick out of the fact that this preacher, this young preacher boy, came into town and stayed with Walton's, and everything he said was pretty much word for word a verse, you know, and an answer to this. And and sometimes it was kind of hard and digging and harsh at times. Uh, when I talk about godly wisdom, I'm not saying that we need to walk around spouting scripture at every turn. You know, we don't walk around and somebody says, "Boy, you know, it's uh, I really wish that that." Um, you know, it wasn't so snowy out today. And you take a passage of Scripture and say, well, you know what? God ordained the season, so you better like it, you know, and, and rattle off the Scripture for that. It's true, but, but you, you, you don't want to do that in your regular, regular course of your speech. I'm not talking about when we walk in wisdom, taking God's wisdom and just hammering people with the gospel at every turn. The words that, that come straight from Scripture, I'm talking about godly wisdom actually doing something in us so that we live in a certain way toward those who are unbelievers. And that way in which we live ought to influence them toward Christ. So how do we obtain godly wisdom? I mean, that ought to be a priority for us, shouldn't it? If we're going to live in wisdom, we had better obtain godly wisdom. And how do we obtain godly wisdom? I want to list for you several ways that we gain godly wisdom. And, and these are most effective for giving us godly wisdom when we take advantage of all of them. This isn't like where you go into the candy store and you go, well, let's see, I'll have a little bit of that and a little bit of that. These, you need all these, okay? Uh, we need all of these, and for them to, to work properly in our lives, there is a progression. I want you to see a progression to these as, as well. And one kind of builds on the other. One leads to the next. And you kind of need the one that, that precedes it to get the next. How do we gain and obtain godly wisdom? Well, first of all, first we gain God's wisdom for a wise walk when we do this, when we revere God's word. How am I going to gain godly wisdom? And that may sound like a strange answer to you. What do you mean, revere God's word? How is, a, 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 how is it if I revere God's word, I get godly wisdom? Well, this is where the, the, the growing in godly wisdom begins. You see, when we revere God's word, it means that we fear and respect and honor and obey God's word. And you don't get godly wisdom without first fearing and honor and respecting and intending on obeying what God shows you in his word. We're reminded in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Tell you what, you want, the, you, you want to have God's wisdom? You want to live with godly wisdom in this world in which we live where it's not easy to live with God's wisdom? You had better begin with a reverence for God's word, a fear and respect for, and a willing obedience for God's word with a heart that says, this is God's word. And what he tells me is law. And I'm going to obey it. Whatever he tells me, if it means I change what I've believed for years, when I find it in God's Word and he, and he makes it very clear to me, I'm going to change. I'm going to become more Christ-like in these things. You must revere God's Word if you want God's wisdom. If you and I are to have God's wisdom, if we're to have God's wisdom at work in our living, then we must revere God's Word. We must not take God's Word lightly. You see, there's a vivid illustration of this truth in David's charge to his son Solomon in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. Just note the reference, and you can look it up. 
later, First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, where he says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart. He's talking about wholeheartedness with devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And I take David's instruction to his son here to mean that it's important that there be a willingness to our searching for the Lord's wisdom. There needs to be a willingness. There's, an important, there's some importance in us being eager to know God's wisdom and obey God's wisdom. It's important that we have a mind that says, I want to know God's truth because I want to live God's truth. And because God searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought, God only gives, what I understand from this passage, is that God only gives His wisdom to those who willingly, openly look for it with a heart that says, I'm open to what God teaches me, and if He steps on my toes in the process, I'll take that and I'll obey. And I take it to mean that He's talking about those who plan to obey and live by God's wisdom. Those who plan to say, I'm going to take what God gives me, I'm going to live by it. To, to them, God opens the doors to His wisdom. You see, there are people the world over who actually read God's Word, who read, they don't call it God's Word, they call it the Bible, right? And we call it the Bible too, but we also call it God's Word. Because that means something to us. But there are people who read the Bible because it's a good book. And it's been around for a long time. And they search the Word and they look for things in God's Word that they might call wisdom. But they don't revere God's Word. They read the Bible for what good it might do them. They, they read the Bible for some personal gain. Maybe it will help me in my life. Maybe it will help me in my job. Maybe it will help me advance in my career. Maybe if I know some Bible truth, some things that are in the Bible, and I, and I kind of insert the things that sound good to me and the things that I like, I might, I might benefit from having read the Bible. And there are people in the world who read the Bible for that purpose. But if believers are to have God's wisdom, they must revere God's Word. You'd better believe that this is God's Word and this is God's truth. And that His commands are certain and His promises will be fulfilled. And that these words are for you and me to live by. And not just some passing fancy that might be good for us from time to time if we happen to take up a few words here and there that might encourage us. says Jeremiah 29, verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see, the people in the world who merely read God's word for whatever wisdom they might like to put into their lives, they might go, well, that's, that sounds good. I think I'll use that. I'll think I'll live that way. Yeah, that's good. That other stuff about, you know, not breaking God's commands, I can do without that. But this sounds good. I'll take that. Those people aren't seeking Him with all their heart. They're trying to take advantage of God. 
And those who don't seek to take advantage of God, but yet come to God with an open heart and mind and and a reverence for God's Word and a respect and an honor and a willing obedience to God's Word, to them, God opens the doors of His wisdom. Revere God's Word. You want God's wisdom to live in this world today to impact this culture and the people that you live with and the people that you work with and the people who reject God and the people who, who might make jokes about you because you're a churchgoer, you know, and they never hear you say anything bad? You want to influence them for Christ? You'd better be revering God's Word. You'd better have a reverent respect and honor and a willing obedience for God's Word because these are applicable to our everyday living. These commands that He's given us, this instruction that He's given us is for us today. Secondly, we gain God's wisdom for a wise walk when we ask for God's wisdom. When we ask for God's wisdom. We gain God's wisdom for a wise walk when we ask for God's wisdom. When we ask in prayer, says James 1.5, God gives liberally. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. doesn't say ask your brother. doesn't say ask your mother. Although, young people, it would be good to go and get godly counsel from your parents. And if your brother is wise in the things of the Lord, it would be good to get godly counsel from your brother or your sister or your neighbor. If they're people who revere God and love his word and are godly people, then getting godly counsel from them is a wise thing, and that's a scriptural thing. But if you lack God's wisdom, you don't go and ask for it from your neighbor. You ask God in prayer, who gives generously, says James 1.5, to all without reproach, and it will be given him. The New Living Translation says it this way, If you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him, and he will gladly tell you he will not resent your asking. You see, God loves it when His children ask for what He wants them to have. But He's waiting to give it to them until they want it, and they're willing to commit to obeying what He gives them. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22 says, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And listen, the person that keeps God's commandments and does what pleases Him those things that he asks for will be the things that glorify God most and the things that God is more than happy to give to that person. Whatever we ask, we receive because our hearts are in tune with God. Our desires are in tune with God's desires. Our wishes are in tune with His wishes. And if they aren't, He withholds. Ask for God's wisdom And ask with an attitude of willing yieldedness to obey God's wisdom. And that points to the third source of wisdom we gain. We gain God's wisdom for a wise walk when we yield to God's wisdom. We gain God's wisdom for a wise walk among unbelievers when we yield to God's wisdom. When we're willing to obey what he says. James chapter 4. Verses 6 and 7 reminds us that God gives grace to those who will humble themselves and submit to God. James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, But He gives more grace. 
Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Will God give you his wisdom and strength and grace to resist the devil and the temptation he brings? You see, the devil's out there trying to get you to stray from the Lord. And he wants to influence your thinking. He wants to influence your passions. He wants to influence your desires so that they won't be Christ-like. And God says, there's victory for those who humble themselves before me. And I take that to mean those who humble themselves are people who are willing to take what God gives them and obey it. Will God give you His wisdom and strength and grace to resist the devil and his ploys and temptations that the devil brings? Yes, He will. But you must humble yourself and yield before the Lord's instruction, especially His clearly revealed will in His Word. Which... You know, it, it burdens my heart at times. It burdens me when people say, I just don't know what, the God, what God wants me to do. And you get the sense that they haven't read the Bible lately. You know? And, and you want to say, have you opened the Scriptures much lately? Have you read God's Word? Are you informed about God's truths? Because a, a believer who has God's Word hiding in their hearts and is adding up in the storehouse of their spiritual lives God's Word, they have God's instructions. They they have God's commands. They have God's heart, His will for them in many, many ways. In many situations in life, if you know God's Word, there's no question what God wants you to do. And so we must be willing to yield to what God has already clearly revealed to us in His Word, and we must know His Word. Thus, the fourth way that we gain God's wisdom for a wise walk is when we study the Word and receive instruction. Fourthly, we must study the Word and receive instruction. Now, we learned this back in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, that the believer must be diligent to see that God's Word dwells in them richly. You know, the world needs to see that God's Word dwells in you richly, too. And when God's Word dwells in you richly, the world will see it. Colossians 3.16 Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And you do that by reading. And you do that by studying God's Word diligently. Reading God's Word, pouring it into your heart and mind and soul and life, and studying God's Word. And that is... That is best done on a daily basis. That best happens when you daily open the Scriptures for some natural food from God to nourish your spirit, to nourish nourish your spiritual life on a daily basis. See, that best happens when you daily have intake from God's dinner table and regularly also receive instruction. That is, put yourself under the teaching of the Word. You see, the believer who has God's wisdom doesn't get God's wisdom without taking in God's Word by the reading and studying of it and placing himself under the teaching of the Word. 
as it's preached. That's by God's design. That's what Paul was talking about when he wrote back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Go back to Colossians 1, verse 28 for a moment, would you? When he declared this about the preaching of the word, this is so critical for us that we don't neglect gathering together to put ourselves under the teaching and preaching of the word. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 says, Paul says, Him, Christ, Him we proclaim. And he defines here kind of what the word does. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. You must, you must seek for truth from God's word. You must put yourself daily in the Word. Then you must put yourself under the instruction of the Word. Because it is by that proclamation of the Word that you are warned and that you are taught and that you get God's wisdom. And it is proclaimed, declared, and presented so that you will be growing up mature in Christ. These four things that I've listed here, do you see the progression? If you've written them down, you might see the progression here. Believers don't grow and mature without the preaching of the Word. That's, that's by God's design. That's the way He intended it to be. And believers can't make the best use of the time without God's work in their, in their conduct and speech. But what must precede receiving the teaching of God's wisdom to a believer is, is that a believer revere God's Word. You had better revere God's word first and then ask for God's wisdom in prayer and then yield to God's wisdom when it's received and then get busy putting yourself in the word and under the word. Do you want to live with wisdom? Do you want to live in wisdom among unbelievers? And this is critical. And that's why I take a major portion of our time this morning to give to this just the first part of this verse. Because this is critical. This is the foundation for being an effective witness for Jesus Christ in this world. His word, his wisdom. This is critical. That we come first to the wisdom that is God's. Not the wisdom that is the world's. Not the wisdom we call common sense. We cannot properly influence unbelievers for Christ if we aren't first being influenced by God's wisdom ourselves. And often, the best sermons that you will ever preach will be the ones that people see. Right? Let's go to God in prayer this morning and ask for His wisdom. O Lord and Heavenly Father, as we've gathered in Your midst today, I pray that it would be true that we are revering Your Word, asking for Your wisdom, yielding to Your wisdom, and then studying Your Word and receiving instruction from Your Word. O Lord, may it be that the word of Christ would dwell richly in us, your children. 
Father, I pray that you would help us to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And then may it be true of us that our conduct and our speech proclaims and, and warns everyone and teaches everyone with all wisdom that we, that we might present everyone mature in Christ. And we pray this this morning in the glorious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.